I really feel that the purpose is to legislate secularism and to create a new state ideology, as it were, a new form of religion or irreligion, if you prefer that. The motive here is to create this new ideology. We need to stand up and, and to contest any law of this nature, this attempt to uh, impose an ideology on everyone, despite their convictions. I, I think this badly needs to be contested. Welcome to Freedom Feature. I'm your host, Barry Bussey. And with me today, I have a Montreal lawyer, Bob Reynolds, who has practiced law for just about 53 years. Bob, welcome to our program. Well, thank you, Barry. It's good to be with you. Thank you for having me. Well, you know, you are the member of the senior bar, you know, the one who has the experience as a lawyer, 53 years. I wish I could say that I'm not even 53, but I've passed that mark already. But, uh, you know, it's uh, one of those things I really greatly appreciate you, Bob, over the years and the great work that you've been doing. Can, can you just explain a little bit to our audience uh, a little bit about your background and what motivates you in your practice of law? I'm a Quebecer. I'm a native Quebecer. I was born and raised in Sherbrooke, about 100 miles east of Montreal in the eastern townships. I was born into a Christian family, evangelical Christian family. That's where I got my start. Did my schooling there and went on to my undergraduate university days, four years at Bishop's University. And I did an undergraduate degree in honors program of uh, French and philosophy. Why choose law? I mean, French and philosophy. I mean, there's there's a lot to unpack there. Were, were you thinking that maybe you might go into law or were you thinking you might be a professor? Or Both were possibilities at that time. Yeah. At the end of my uh, four years at Bishops, I was offered two scholarships, one that would have led into an academic career and one offered from the Faculty of Law at McGill University. So mm -hmm. I had a choice to make. Yeah, so I felt that uh, I should go into law. Well, it was a calling of sorts, if you will. I had been thinking about it for a few years, and I was aware that there were no lawyers in Quebec at that point with my convictions, my religious convictions. Mm. So I felt that uh, it was a void uh, that maybe I could fill. And I guess that was the main uh, reason that I went in. So as you look back over your career, how has how has the practice of law changed in your career? As you look at from the beginning, what's different or is it the same? Or Well, I think any lawyer would tell you there's been an evolution from a technological point of view, obviously. When I started out, there were no computers, there weren't even fax machines, and so on. So from a technological point of view, there's clearly been quite a change. Here in Quebec, there have been a number of changes, new civil code, new code of procedure several times. And every time there's a major change like that, of course, you have to learn the new law. Yeah, there's been there have been a number of changes along the way. How, how about the change with respect to the attitude of law and, the, and within the practice itself? For example, the positivist philosophical approach to, to law, in other words, the law is only what the legislature says it is, and then... We've always had the battle then between the positivists and the naturalists who say, well, no, there's a law that's outside of the law, as it were, the, the, the natural law, the 
the the law that is consistent throughout the millennia where people have a um, a greater sense of morals that a legislature may pass a piece of legislation but it may not in fact be moral it's the law it's the positive law that has been created but it's more than that law is more than that has there been a change in attitude with respect to those kinds of issues those philosophical issues yeah i would say there has been although um and I would personally espouse the second of your two uh, categories. I would, I'm one of those who believes in a law above the law. The courts uh, in Quebec uh, and lawyers generally, I would say, are, are more on the other side, the positivist approach to law, and that it can be, uh, it can be modified almost, almost at will. So there, there's certainly been that tension, I would say, in my practice in my in many of the cases I've taken over the years and and I think you and I are going to get into a discussion of this evolution not only in Quebec but in Canada as a whole towards secularism and it's been very pronounced here in Quebec and it's affected the law for sure as we will see in a minute when we look at bill 21 there's mm. been this shift a strong shift toward secularism when I started out in 1969 Quebec society was still very much, um, on the surface at least, was very, very religious. Majority of people were um, churchgoers and so on. And yet, a few years later, something called the Quiet Revolution began here in Quebec. And uh, that was really the beginning of a, of a new era, I would say, which evolved steadily and almost consistently toward where we are now. We're in a society that is thoroughly secular. This kind of dynamic uh, with the change in society, I know uh, Chief Justice Richard Wagner in a news conference he had back in 2018 made reference to the fact that as a judge, he does not look at the Constitution that's 150 years old and interpret it as what it meant back then, but he interprets it based on the current conditions or the current moral views, or the he uses the term charter values and that kind of thing. And 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 I, I suppose what you're you're referencing here as well is a sense that okay, with the quiet revolution, there's been also a revolution, as it were, within how the law perhaps is interpreted. Would that be fair? I think so. I think that's fair to say. I don't think it, the change has been driven entirely by the by the quiet revolution, but certainly the quiet revolution has moved society from a religious background or a religious foundation to a secular foundation, and that's been reflected in the law in the judgments that have come out. When we look at uh, the whole situation with freedom of religion in Canada, can you tell us about the history of freedom of religion? Did we have religious freedom even before we had the Charter of Rights? You know, one of the things I find, sometimes I wonder if the legal profession has forgotten about the fact that there was law, or at least we had rights as uh, individuals in this country that preceded the 1982 Charter. But what's your study and understanding of the history of religious freedom and how has it changed? To answer your first question, of course, there was freedom of religion in Canada before the Charter. Very definitely so. 
you know, even before the Constitution of 1867, before the Constitution Act of 1867, in colonial days, you could start with the Quebec Act of 1774, and, and that provided freedom of religion to to Quebecers in particular, uh, despite the fact that the uh, conquest had taken place. If you move ahead 100 years uh, or less than 100 years into the 1850s, you have another British statute called the um, Freedom of Worship Act, 1851, which uh, clearly and definitely uh, laid down principles of freedom of religion for all of the citizens of what was then called the province of Canada and what is now Ontario and Quebec. And that was before the Constitution Act of 1867. So, uh, yes, to answer your question, there was there's no doubt that freedom of religion was was very clearly established in Canada before the Charter came along. And just one example that took place way back then in 1867, the Fathers of Confederation from Quebec negotiated and obtained uh, the right to send their children to denominational schools. And that was written into the Constitutional Act of 1867. Ironically, 130 years later, that same province of Quebec obtained a constitutional amendment to uh, get rid of the right of parents in Quebec to send their children to denominational schools. And that's just another example of the drift or the the movement that has been taking Mm. place here. The thing is, though, people can still send their children to denominational schools, but I think the issue is also, is it not about the fact of public funding of those schools? No, there can be private religious schools in Quebec. But no longer uh, is there a right. It used to be that because of what we found in the law of 1867, that there were two basic public schools in Quebec, two types of public schools in Quebec, Protestant or Catholic. And you had a choice depending on your your own religion. You could send your children to the Protestant school or to the Catholic school. And these were publicly funded, yes, of course, but that's no longer an option. Now, education in in Quebec is secular and it's based on, it's linguistic rather than religious. But a religion or a denomination could set up its own private school, right? Private schools are are permitted, yes, but they're still heavily regulated and the curriculum is controlled by the state but but to answer your question that's right there's still still the possibility of private religious schools yeah so and of course the the state does because of the curriculum issues uh, perhaps interfere a lot in um and i know that recently we had the Loyola high school case but i understand that you know quebec has changed even since then so then okay so so what's happened with religious freedom since we've had the charter okay to answer that i would i would say first of all section 2a of the charter enshrines freedom of religion. It's the first of the fundamental freedoms listed in Section 2 of the Charter. That uh, that freedom of religion was uh, defined more precisely in a famous case called the Big M Drug Mart case in 1985. That was the first step, if you will, taken by the Supreme Court dealing with freedom of religion after the Charter came into effect. That decision is frequently quoted because it is so clear in its uh, definition of what freedom of religion is all about. In that decision, 
the court said, the essence of the concept of freedom of religion is the right to entertain such religious beliefs as a person chooses, the right to declare religious beliefs openly and without fear of hindrance or reprisal, and the right to manifest religious belief by worship and practice or by teaching and dissemination. And then Further on, the court said, what may appear good and true to a majoritarian religious group or to the state acting at their behest may not, for religious reasons, be imposed upon citizens who take a contrary view. The charter safeguards religious minorities from the threat of the, quote, tyranny of the majority, end of quote. Mm. It's a very broad interpretation of freedom of religion. Very broad indeed, yes. And uh, that was the, the first statement by the Supreme Court since the Charter. Since then, I would say that the Supreme Court, in any event, and other courts as well, have been moving steadily away from that high mark, if you want to call it that, that high mark, that definition of freedom of religion in several cases. The first case of note is, I would say, the Hatterian Brethren case of 2009, uh, where the Supreme Court decided to ignore the freedom of religion of a small religious group in Alberta and to uh, rule in favor of the competing interest of the majority. So the Supreme Court there showed that it was willing to put secular values ahead of freedom of religion if there was a conflict. That case, the Hunter and Brethren case, it was, as I understand, uh, the Alberta government had been allowing this small group of only like 250 members or something, the right to not have their picture taken for the driver's license. And then when they decided uh, that they were going to require everyone to have their picture taken because of the fear of identity theft was the stated reason, as I understand. They were going to uh, say, okay, no, we're not going to accommodate. And yet you've accommodated them for almost 30 years. It's it's uh, astounding, that decision. It is indeed. One would hope that it was a, a, an exception, but I don't think that is the case. I think it was uh, that trend or that way of thinking has been developing and was picked up. Actually, just in passing, I would mention that for any of our listeners who are familiar with the Christian Legal Fellowship, the Christian Legal Journal published by the CLF in its latest issue contains an article written by Robert Staley, a Toronto lawyer. The point of his article is to is to show how the Supreme Court has been moving away from the high mark of concept of freedom of religion in the big M drug mark case of 1985 to today. Mm -hmm. And the most recent example is, of course, the Trinity Western decision of the Supreme Court in 2018, where once again, the majority decision of the Supreme Court disregarded the freedom of religion of religious institution, Trinity Western University, in favor of competing interests of others. And uh, so Robert Staley in his article, which I highly recommend, concludes that whenever freedom of religion comes up against a competing interest in decisions of the Supreme Court, since at least uh, the Hatterian Brethren decision, whenever that happens, freedom of religion will lose out, will take second place. That's, mm -hmm. that's his opinion. It certainly appears to be well-founded when you look at the evolution of these cases.
I did some work on that some time ago, and I refer to this as the legal revolution against the accommodation of religion. It's kind of a situation where even early post-charter, as you point out, there was this tendency to give deference to religion and allow it to be able to grow and flourish and so forth. But now, under this era of equity issues, diversity, inclusion, and equity, but then also with other state, even just regular state demands like we had with the Brethren case, it seems like religion is going to be on the losing end. I would agree. You you have mentioned to me earlier about the issue of secularism. How do you sense this concept of secularism? It's playing its uh, way out, as it were, in Quebec right now. Well, I mentioned uh, a minute ago the move away from denominational schools. That was one one step along the way. And um, I've been involved in a number of cases that reflect this trend towards secularism in our in Quebec society. So much so now, for example, that most municipalities will not even rent any premises to religious bodies, even for a day, even temporarily for a wedding or anything of that nature. Anything that is religious cannot rent public space in most municipalities anyway. Is it a sense of almost a anti-religious stance that government seems to be having in Quebec? I mean, it, it just seems to me that any organization, any community service organization, and historically we've seen churches and religious groups as part of that, one of the four heads of charity, for example, being able to have access to public buildings like any other civil society. I mean, is it only religious groups or is it all civil groups? Well, it depends, of course, on each municipality. Each municipality adopts its own bylaws and its own rules. But I've certainly run into several where it's clearly in in the bylaws of the municipality that there will be no public buildings can be. I don't think it's true in all municipalities yet because they haven't got around to it, perhaps. But there is this trend, there's this feeling, there's this um, atmosphere that people increasingly feel that the state in any of its uh, manifestations at any level must not uh, be seen to 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 favor religion does that boil down to anti-religion i'm not sure if it goes that far but that's the prevailing view anyway we've got a situation currently on the go right now in quebec bill 21 which uh, i guess it's the law of laicite or something like that that's My right is not the very very good i'm afraid well, that's okay. You you got it essentially correct. That's right. It's generally, as you know, called Bill 21. Uh, yes, that's true. It's in force now, and it's being contested. So the law was in for, was was enacted in 2019, and very soon after, a number of religious groups and even the Canadian Civil Liberties Association jumped into the fray to contest this law. And on top of that, there are a number of interveners on both sides for and against who entered the fray. This was um, in 20, well, shortly after the law was enacted. So I guess in 2020, these cases were started. They were then joined together for hearing, and the hearing took place before the Quebec Superior Court toward the end of 2020. After, I guess, five months or so of deliberation, the judge of the Superior Court, after a 20-day hearing, issued his judgment, which is more than 400 pages long. Very good analysis, I would say, of the uh, the evidence that was presented to him by all of these groups and uh, by their opponents, uh, by the government of Quebec, 
And there's an, an NGO that promotes secularism that was part of the argument as well. All of these groups entered, as I say, there were about 16 different groups in the end before the Superior Court. And the judgment finally came out in April of 2021. I won't try to summarize it, it's much too long. But basically, the lower court judge, although he expressed sympathy very eloquently, did he express sympathy for the various religious groups? And they included, by the way, Sikhs, uh, Jews, uh, Roman Catholics, Muslims, and, and various other religious groups. So he expressed sympathy for them. And he was clearly uh, upset by the uh, effect of Bill 21 on their daily lives and on their on their freedom of religion. He, he, it bothered him. It was clear that it bothered him. But he concluded that he couldn't do anything about it. What exactly does the bill do? It states it provides no public employee in Quebec, and that includes primarily teachers. I think numerically it's primarily teachers, but... It, lawyers, notaries, police officers, any public employee is prohibited from wearing any sort of religious symbol. And you can think of many many such symbols, but they're all prohibited while the person is, is working, is on the job. In other words, employees with, with a religious conviction that they should wear a religious symbol must not do so, must hide the religious symbol. And so this contradicts, of course, the definition of freedom of religion that we just uh, talked about in the big mm -hmm. Woodmark case, that freedom of religion includes the right to declare religious beliefs openly. That's exactly what these people are trying to do. They're trying to declare their religious belief openly without fear of hindrance or reprisal. So this is, this is what the, the law declares. The drafters of the bill knew very well that they were, in fact, infringing certain freedoms of religion. And so they invoke the notwithstanding clauses, it's commonly called Section 33 of the Charter, mm -hmm. to um, allow themselves to enact this law, thinking that because they invoked Section 33, that uh, they were free to, to infringe the freedom of religion of these various groups. There are sections of the law that are very specific and uh, so on, but that's what it boils down to. So the judge felt the sympathy towards the people who were going through this, and what was the gist of his um, his sympathy, as it were? It was very, as I said, very eloquent. He, he went out of his way to criticize the law. He actually criticized the law for the way it, it interfered with the freedoms of these of these groups. You know, I don't have the quotation in front of me, but right. uh, that's what he did. Which is fascinating. We we see that Section 33, notwithstanding clause, would give the government the right to be able to infringe freedom of religion. Just before we move on to the discussion about the appeal and your involvement with Christian Legal Fellowship, why is it that the government has felt that this was absolutely necessary, that, that you couldn't have government employees wearing their religious symbols. It would seem that in an era of secularism, of inclusion, diversity, equity, and all the rest, that you'd want to be seen as an inclusive employer, having people from all walks of faith. I, I just don't understand the rationale of this concept. Well, I'm not sure that I do either. 
But whenever the question has arisen and been put to uh, any representative of the government, the answer generally is, well, you know, we the state, we the government cannot be seen as promoting any religion. So Mm. we must avoid the perception that we are in favor of one religion and not another and so on. That's the standard answer that is is given. I feel, and I may be uh, wrong, I hope not, but I, I really feel that the reason, the rationale, if you want to call it that, runs much deeper than that. I really feel that the purpose is to legislate secularism and to create a new state ideology, as it were, a new form of religion or irreligion, if you prefer that. Mm. You know, that that seems to be the the motive here is to create this new ideology. That's what I see as as the rationale behind it. Yeah. So it's kind of like, okay, we've now got the truth. And so we're going to impose this new truth on you. You know, it's kind of like you say, it has a religious tone. When people say they reject religion or that they, you know, are not religious or whatever, but it seems that human nature is such that we will always worship something or someone or even a worldview that we think that is the truth and we think that everyone else should follow through on following it. The very thing that the quiet revolution was trying to get rid of was the idea of having a church-dominated society, but now we got a secularism-dominating society, so then the secularism itself is now filling the vacuum that was once filled by the church. And so what's ironic is that the what they historically would have said, okay, this is wrong to impose these views on society. Now they are imposing these new views on society. So they're taking a very similar tact that they say that they're opposing. I couldn't say it better, Barry. Thank you. that You summarized what I would have said. Yes, I, I quite agree. That, I believe, is what is happening with Bill 21. Obviously, the bill is now law. And like you said, it's been law since when, did you say? Since uh, 2019, actually. 2019. So now we got this uh, challenge going on. So now it's gone up to the Quebec Court of Appeal? That's correct, yes. Have the hearings been held on this? No, not yet, no. Shortly after some of the main uh, parties indicated they were going to appeal and actually opened the appeal, as it were, at the Quebec Court of Appeal, the uh, Christian Legal Fellowship, whom I represent, decided, Mm -hmm. well, we need to intervene, although they hadn't intervened before the Quebec Superior Court. So actually, there were two others besides ourselves. I represent the CLF and two others applied to the Quebec Court of Appeal for permission to intervene. In the case of the Christian Legal Fellowship, the reason that we put forward our request to intervene was that we informed the court that we had a new argument, we felt, that had not yet been presented before the first court. And that new argument was based on another article of the charter, Article 31. So that being the case, the Court of Appeal accepted our application to intervene And we are now an intervener, along with uh, many others. I think at last count, there are 35 lawyers involved in this case. So it's a great work project for lawyers, it seems. It seems that way, yes. All right. So now let's have a look at your argument, uh, because this is a fascinating argument. So you're saying that, as I understand it, that the Quebec government does not have any more power or ability or jurisdiction to be able to interfere with 
religion because we've had freedom of religion prior to the charter. Is that what I understand? Not quite, Barry. You're getting there, but to, to round it out a bit and to make it a little clearer, our argument is, let's start with the article I referred to a minute ago. Our argument is based on Article 31, Section yep. 31, very short article. It says this, it says, nothing in this charter, that is the the charter, the federal charter of rights and freedoms, nothing in this charter extends the legislative powers of any body or authority. Okay. So what does that mean? We argue before the charter, not only was there freedom of religion in Canada and in Quebec, but that freedom of religion was such that a law such as Bill 21 could never have been passed. It could never have successfully been enacted because of the, the way freedom of religion had been defined in the Supreme Court in a number of cases, and primarily in the 1950s, which clearly established the fundamental nature of freedom of religion in very memorable language. So we say, okay, that's what it was before the Charter. Before the Charter, we had this high view of freedom of religion, and the Charter came along, and it simply confirmed that Although in the charter itself, you won't find any definition of freedom of religion, of course. We got that definition later on in the big M drug mark case. But the point is that because of the high view of freedom of religion before the charter, any attempt after the charter to depart from that high view, to change that high view of freedom of religion, cannot happen. Why? Because of this Article 31 that says that no legislature, no authority can extend its powers beyond what they were before the Charter. Before the Charter, they couldn't have done it, we argue, and they can't do it anymore after the Charter because of Article 31 that prohibits the extension of power. You'd have to, the Quebec legislature to succeed would have to be able to extend its power beyond what it was before, before the Charter. And it can't do that because of Article 31. Now, how does that defeat the Section 33, the um, notwithstanding clause? clause? Well, of course, Section 33 is part of the Charter. But Section 33 cannot be read alone. It can't be read out of context. You have to look at 31 alongside Section 33. And Section 31 is very clear. Nothing in this Charter. Well, Section 33 is part of the Charter, yes. But it says nothing in this Charter can extend the legislative power of any authority or any legislature. Now, this is a very, I don't know of that argument ever being used before. So it's a very unique argument that certainly I have not heard of before, but it's uh, intriguing because it affects not only freedom of religion, but all of the other rights as well, right? I mean, so that if one could establish a particular pre-charter understanding of freedom of association or freedom of speech kind of thing, the idea that a legislature would use the notwithstanding clause to take away a right and that by doing so, it's extending its jurisdiction, which would be in violation of Section 31, that it would be null and void. So it's kind of, it's it's very unique. Has anyone ever approached this before? Well, I think we're the first ones to certainly to apply it to any fundamental freedoms in the Charter. There have been a few cases, I guess, I'm guessing here, but no more than half a dozen cases where a court in Canada has applied Section 31. Usually those cases have 
had to do with the issue of the division of powers between federal government and the provincial government. So if a provincial government, for example, attempts to legislate in an area that is reserved for the federal government, well, they can't do that without jurisdiction to go there. And that's when Article 31 would certainly be applicable. And by the way, we have a similar argument to make. Uh, also, in our factum, we, we do refer to, to Bill 21 as being a law with a religious purpose. It has a religious purpose. I won't go too far into that, but has to do with what we were discussing earlier, namely that it is seeking to impose a new religion or a new ideology on the population. That is what is called regulation of public morality, believe it or not. And that's reserved to the federal government by virtue of the constitution that says any attempt to regulate public order and good morals is within federal jurisdiction. So we we also present that argument as saying this Bill 21 is is actually uh, infringing the division of powers. To answer your first question, I'm not aware of any judgment in Canada so far that's gone beyond the division of powers in applying Section 31. Well, that's very fascinating. It'll be really amazing to see how the court deals with that. The fact that they allowed you in on that unique point would seem that they themselves, the court itself, was intrigued. Yes, I think that's fair to say. As a matter of fact, it was just this week that uh, the court finally indicated to all the lawyers involved that the hearing would take place in November. Uh, Specific dates haven't come out yet, but it's going to be either the week of November the 7th or the week of November 14th, according to what we've been told. It may overlap in those two weeks. We're not sure how many days are going to be reserved. 35 lawyers can take up a lot of time. Exactly. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and that's the other thing that they haven't yet, they haven't yet indicated to all of us what each of us may, you know, how much time each of us may take for our oral arguments. They have our factum, our written arguments, mm-hmm. but they haven't yet indicated how much time will be allocated to to each lawyer. Obviously, if your if your point ultimately gets taken, I mean, this is going to have a dramatic impact on freedom of religion not only in Quebec but across the country. I mean, that is one to watch for sure. What's the what's the take up in the general public with this litigation? Is there much public support for challenging this or have Quebec people have they decided you know what the government is spot on here? Well, according to what the um polls seem to indicate the majority of Quebecers do support Bill 21. Which is fascinating because part of the reason why we have a Charter of Rights and and why freedom of religion has existed is the very point you made when you quoted Justice Dixon in the Big M drug mark case about uh, the tyranny of the majority. That seems to me like proof positive of that principle. Well, I think so. I believe so. Uh, just because the majority is in favor of of something of a law shouldn't mean that they can impose that law on everybody even on those who disagree especially when it involves freedom of religion it shouldn't mean that and that's precisely as you say what 
the big M drug mark indicated, religious minorities have a right to be protected from that sort of from that sort of thinking. What is the result or the consequences of this legislation? Have there been a lot, or is there any kind of numbers of people who have lost their jobs as a result of the government's uh, imposing this regulation? Well, we have no statistics. By the way, the law did include a grandfather clause that allowed existing employees who had a certain security in their employment to continue, but for the future, no new employees. There have been some who have been demoted. There have been some who have been teachers, for example, who have been removed from their teaching duties because they refused to take off their religious symbol, but not a great number as far as I can tell. So it's basically going to act more as a gatekeeper, preventing people from being part of the civil service. Exactly. Exactly. Bob, I just want to thank you so very much for your time and sharing with us. Any final thoughts that you would like our listeners to to know? I think I think we've already covered my <laughs> my thoughts. If you want to put it that way, you know, I I feel quite strongly that we need to stand up and and to contest any law of this nature, this attempt to uh, impose an ideology on everyone despite their convictions. I, I think this needs to be badly needs to be contested. It's interesting that Quebec has taken this position, the government has taken this position, and I'm a Quebecer and I always have been and always will be a proud Quebecer, thoroughly bilingual. I practice in French as much as English, but I just feel that um, this needs to be contested. Well, I, I want to thank you, Bob, for the many years that you have given in, in your answer to your call in supporting justice in many areas, but also in freedom of religion and for you taking up this case even now as the lawyer for Christian Legal Fellowship. And thank you so much for joining us. You're most welcome, Barry. Good to talk to you. Good to talk to you. And to our listeners, and we want to thank you for joining us today. And as we are learning a bit more about what's happening in Quebec with respect to religious freedom, trust you've enjoyed the program. And uh, as we always say, you may not agree with what is being shared here, the different views that people have, uh, but that's okay because we're interested in open, honest, and transparent dialogue. In order to do that, we have to have you with us, and we thank you. We encourage you to make sure you click on that like button and also go over to our website, firstfreedoms.ca, and then sign up for our newsletter. And until next time, I'm Barry Bussey. The fight for freedom consists not only in the legal battles in court, but also in the battle of ideas at the universities and in the media. It takes time, effort, and money to keep on top of the debates for freedom. Your donation allows us to keep fighting for all Canadians. Firstfreedoms.ca